Welcome to the Fantasy Ace Ball Podcast. This is your host, Tim Kanak. And today you're, we have with us Raymond Atherton. You can find him on Twitter, at Raymond Atherton. And of course, you can find me on Twitter, at Fantasy Ace Ball. And you can also find my written work over on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. For those who follow me on Twitter, I did release uh, just the other day a an article on friends with fantasy benefits in regards to position scarcity and position depth at a Twitter thread on it. And I had gotten into average F scores for each position. And a few people wanted me to do median F scores for each position to see if there's a difference. And so I did do that, which you can find on that article on friends with fantasy benefits. I'm not going to give the whole thing away. Uh, so just a little teaser. If you want to check it out, check it out over there. Uh, but the article is basically called Is Position Scarcity a Myth? Um, <clears throat> hint, hint, I think it might be. So go check out the article if you're interested in looking at that further and finding out if there are positions that you should be bumping up or bumping down uh, due to how many good people, good players there are in those positions. And I did do it by league type too, so it's by like 10 to 12 team league, by 15 team league, and uh, by – deeper than 15 team league. So uh, today is going to be outfield part two and Raymond was not a part of the outfield part one podcast. He was uh, had obligations elsewhere, but Gabe was here. And so Raymond, I want to give you a chance looking at tiers one, two, and three, which we discussed in the first pod. Are there any players in those tiers that stand out to you that you want to discuss or where you think maybe you would bump them up a tier or down a tier or whatever? I think there's a, I think tier two having Shohei Jordan and Julio is interesting to me. I think if I were doing this, I would have all of those guys in the first tier. Um, Jordan's probably the biggest power threat in baseball who's not named Aaron Judge. Um, Julio went 28-25 last year. I mean, he's probably one of the only... 30-30 guys who's going to do that, or flirt with 30-30 every year, I should say. I know there's concerns about him running still, but, I mean, he's got 35 homer upside anyways. Um, yeah, I did want to ask, it seems like I heard you say on your outfield um, that Aaron Judge is 31% better than average, and that just seems low and like it reminded me i saw once the backup third baseman for the guardians uh somebody tweeted that um jose ramirez wins above replacement was like five or six or something and his backup quote tweeted it and he's like that number doesn't seem high enough sincerely his replacement and i just thought it was <laughs> i just thought I, I don't know i thought that was interesting like yeah, to hear, well, to hear that. Remember, the F scores are based basically they're based on the average fantasy player. So basically, like one hundred, it's not like okay. a backup. It's more like one hundred is like your average fantasy player at that uh, you know position. So that means that Judge with his F score of one thirty one means that he's thirty one percent better than the average fantasy hitter, right? Uh, because basically all the hitters I kind of clumped, and then I've got all the pitchers clumped. So, like, Aaron Judge being 31%, and then I think Jose is, like, 119 is his F score. So that doesn't mean that, like, oh, it's based on position. It's actually based on all hitters. Um, but that's why I always recommend also using the range. So, like, when you look at the F scores, the main F score is kind of like floor F score. That's kind of like – the bottom and then the future f score is like the ceiling so aaron judge has a 131 f score and a 147 future f score so that means i figure that his range of outcomes is between 31 percent above average fantasy hitter to 47 percent. which obviously we had that 47 percent last year right when he had 62 homers he was one and a half times better than like any other hitter and so um more or less so that's kind of the way to read the F scores is you want to use both of those scores because that's going to give you like the potential range of outcomes 
that my model is going to give you on each player. And so some of the rankings you might notice, like I might have a guy that's low, that has a lower main F score, but then their future F score is higher. And then in regards to Otani and Jordan, their F scores actually show that they have the capacity to be in that tier one. And I think that they do. Um, the main reason I have Jordan down a tier is for speed, because I wanted that first tier to be more like uh, five tool guys. And then Judge's power tool is just so strong that like, I'll take double the homers <laughs> over like power and speed. Because like, okay, Mookie might go 30-30, but then if Judge is going to get 60 homers and five steals, I've kind of put that in the same category, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. so, that, so that's kind of how I did that. And then Julio, the reason I have him bumped down that into that second tier is mostly just because he was a rookie last year. He's got to go back out and prove it again. He did get hurt last year too, so the durability score is down a little bit. Yeah, uh, You can see. And then um, – also, that speed, I think we talked about that on another pod, but, like, I'm a little concerned that the second half steals weren't all there. So I'm a little concerned. I mean, like, obviously it's going to be easier to steal bases next year with the rule changes, so maybe that changes things. But I'm a little concerned that now that he has the big contract, his higher, you know, his bosses or whatever in Seattle might be telling him, hey, don't run as much. We don't want you to get hurt, so be careful on base paths so he may not be as aggressive. So that is something that does concern me a little bit. Um, but obviously, I still have him, like, really high up, right? Like, yeah, 10th like is, 10. yeah. So um, I probably, yeah, the thing that sucks is I probably won't be getting him in a redraft. Having him 10 because people are drafting him as, like, the sixth player overall and stuff like that in redraft. So I probably won't be getting him. So that kind of sucks in redraft. But I was all over him in most of my dynasty leagues. So unless I'm doing, like, a startup dynasty, I have – Julio and like every single dynasty league that I'm in because I was like wait I was just like all over him so uh, luckily I have a lot of shares in him it's just like I probably won't be getting him into redraft because I just I, th- I think like I'll take Mike Trout over Julio right now just because he's more guaranteed and hey Trout's durability ain't the best either right um, but Trout was on like a per, on a per at bat basis he was like right there with Aaron Judge last year if you look at it on a per at bat basis like he was really really good last year um, so I think some people forget about trout a little bit, uh, just cause like maybe it's trout fatigue yeah. or maybe it's because he's been hurt the last few years. So people just assume he's going to get injured and they don't want to draft him as high, but trout's not Anthony Rendon, you know, trout is still like an amazing player when he's on the field. He's still one of the best. So I feel like with a couple of those trout injuries too, the angels kind of said like, there's no point in coming back and making this worse and hurting yourself long-term, like, we're not playing for anything. Like, I feel like he could have played through a couple of those injuries. But, yeah. um, to your and point this on year, Julio... This year, they're definitely playing for it this year, I mean, with all the moves they made, so... Yeah, and I think we can't do this doing this now, but my favorite thing to do is to tie rankings to ADP, and I think that you're absolutely spot on with Julio. I mean, like you said, he's going... I think I took him fifth overall in a mock draft. We did a bit ago, but you'll. Pro- I think Trout will be what a third round pick, early third, late third, right around the thirty somewhere. In a I think he's gonna be league. more of a. Sec- I think he's gonna be more of a. Yeah, maybe. A, yeah, maybe twelve team. I was gonna say in fifteen team leagues, he's probably gonna be going in the second round. I would say. So, so I like mean, NFBC, yeah, will probably be going in the second round. Which is, I mean, those leagues just sell it for upside, but those leagues, if you get one or two hurt players, you're kind of screwed so yeah i mean yeah I like I'm, to, I'm, I'm probably gonna like trout at his adp for sure i like to draft too on the nfbc when you do kentucky derby style i like to draft i, mean, I talked about this before i like to draft like in that 8 to 10 range or like 8 to 11 range and then that would put me in a prime position to get trout coming back in the second round or someone like that maybe even someone better like I might be able to find even Freeman, like Freeman, Freeman. I could be in that like Freeman Trout range, uh, drafting there, kind of like depending on who I get the first. Um, so that's why I like drafting there. Anyone else stand out to you? Who we talked about last time? Um, I mean, I would. I heard you guys go into length on Schwarber, so I won't bring that up. I think, I think he's probably going to be one of the biggest people. To benefit from the shift, like you mentioned, and 
I'm sure his ADP is not going to reflect that necessarily. So I think he's going to be a pretty good value on draft day as well. And then I think, I mean, I understand it, but having Tatis at the bottom of the second tier and then Bryce Harper all the way down towards the bottom of the third tier just reflects the the known and the unknown of those guys coming back. So that's going to be a really cool storyline to watch at the beginning of the season. Yeah, you can even see I like gave them special colors even in the ranking. Yeah. <laughs> be like, hey, yeah, this dude's suspended and this guy's hurt. So <laughs> that's the whole that's the whole reason where they're why they are where they are in the rankings is you're losing PT off the bat. So um, let's get into tier four now, and uh, I'll give you the names and the F, the main F score, and then you. We'll, we'll dig into who we like, who we don't, who we don't like. You know, just let me know your thoughts on some of these guys. Tier four is pretty interesting, and you mentioned before we got started here that hey, some of these, some of these tiers are really big, and um, a part of that is just outfield has a lot of players in it, right? Like you can see that in this ranking, I literally ranked 192 outfielders. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I probably, I probably spent like two or three weeks just ranking outfielders like three or four hours a day so um you know i put a lot into this and these tiers are there to kind of represent um this chunk of players could move up to the next tier or could move down one tier the way that i i tier guys out is i think that this guy could jump up one tier or jump down one tier if i think that they go go up two tiers then i would bump them up to the next tier so that's kind of how I do it is I try to think, okay, this, this guy has the possibility to move up one tier or down one tier. And as long as they have that kind of range of outcomes, in my opinion, then I'm going to throw them in that tier. And not everything matches the F scores. So I don't just strictly go by the F score when I'm ranking the guy. Because sometimes the F scores might not read injuries correctly or sometimes the rookies might not come up right or sometimes it overrates speed. So it's not just purely based on the F score, but I do use that score as a general guideline to help me rank these guys. And then I kind of throw my opinion into it as well. Kind of like Ariel does the same thing. He told me with the ATC, like when he uses ATC as like a basis or a guideline when he's doing his personal rankings, but he doesn't just go by strictly ATC when he's drafting guys. He just, you know, he ranks his own guys and uses ATC as like a guide more or less. So that's how the tiers work. Um, got any questions on that? No, that makes a ton of sense. And I think the first time we did this, I was confused as to why like your rankings didn't go in order of total uh, F score, but there's got to be that human element in there. So projections only get you so far. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, they're, they're good. It's a good guide, but uh, it's not the end all be all to me. And as a consumer, if like once I release all this, because I'm gonna, I give it all, I'm giving it all for free. Maybe I'll charge for it in a year or two if, if I get a lot of demand for that scores. Um, but right now, it's all free on Friends with Fantasy Benefits, and on the podcast, I give it out. But then I post everything on Friends with Fantasy Benefits, and so we'll get into posting those probably next year once we get in. Once like football season's over, I'll start posting those for free, and uh, feel free to. Take my F scores and then play around. If you, if you think, hey, this guy should be here or here, you can take the F scores and then move your own guys around. Use my rankings as a guide for your own rankings. Feel free to do that. You know, I'm not I'm no TM on this right now. So, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, let's get to the tier. My number 24 outfielder and top of tier number four is Teoscar Fernandez with a 104 F score. And uh, I'm not going to give the futures. I'm just going to give the F score. And then if you, when we dig into them, we'll, we can give the specific F scores. Or like I said, you can look on them. Look at them on Friends with Fantasy Benefits once I post them. Number 25 is Lars Newbar, who we talked a little bit about in the last podcast with a 106 F score. Number 26 is Brian Reynolds with a 103 F score. 27, Adelise Garcia with a 106 F score. 28, Christian Yelich with a 108 F score. 29, Jake McCarthy with a 104 F score. 30, Hunter Renfro with a 101 F score. 31, Eloy Jimenez 
with a 99 F score. 32, Ryan Mountcastle with a 98 F score. 33, Chris Bryant with a 95 F score. 34, Brandon Nimmo with a 104 F score. 35, Brandon Lau with a 96 F score. 36, Giancarlo Stanton with a 102 F score. 37, Anthony Santander with a 100 F score. 38, Seiya Suzuki with a 98 F score. 39, Stephen Kwan with a 111 F score. 40, Trent Grisham with a 104 F score. 41, Mitch Hanniger with a 94 F score. And 42 to round up the tier, Vaughn Grissom with a 96 F score. Who stands out to you here, Raymond? So I have a few names here. I think Chris Bryant, like I was talking about earlier, is going to be an absolute steal in drafts. He was so bad last year. He was so hurt last year. I think he hurt. I think he hit three total home runs. Um, he had something like 120 plate appearances or something. Just the tiniest of tiny sample sizes after signing that big deal in Colorado. Uh, I think he's going to – people are going to overreact, and he's going to be a good value there. Talking uh, about ADPs on the Chris Bryant, based on my ranking, do you think that I'm going to have him ranked ahead of ADP or below ADP? Like, once we start getting good ADP information, which we don't have yet, I do the same thing you mentioned earlier, where I'll take my AD, I'll take ADPs and then weigh them against my ranking. So if – like, like, I guess basically the question is, do you think this is where Chris Bryant's going to be ranked ADP, or do you think he's going to be higher or lower? I'd, I'd imagine it'll be close. You're talking 33rd outfielder off the board. That's probably somewhere around 100, if I had to guess, maybe a little later than that. So I think he might be spot on, and that still could be a good value. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I think there's definitely value there. It's just a matter of him playing, right? Like, it's just like, just get him on the field. And then part of it too is, you know, he's in course. He should be, he should, he should be hitting more extra. He should be getting more extra base hits. Um, We kind of saw toward the end of his Cubs tenure, he was turning more into like an on base guy, just trying to get on base at the top of the order instead of like, doing damage, but he has the ability to do more damage than he's done. And him being in cores now, being the number three hitter, um, I'm assuming he's going to be the number three hitter. Um, three or four, I'd imagine. I, yeah, yeah I, 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 when I did all these rankings, I can't remember now, but I went through roster resource and used lineup position and everything like that as part of the S scores. But um, he has a good opportunity to rack up some counting stats as long as he's healthy, so – I have an. I, I found this note here. It says for his one healthy month last season in July, he hit three thirty. <clears throat> excuse me, he hit three thirty with five home runs and a nine six five OPS. Like he's that's Chris. That's Chris Bryant. That's a better version of the Chris Bryant we saw toward, like you said, towards his end of the end of his time in uh, Chicago. So that's a good note. I like that. And one of the, I think one of the things too, he had zero homers and cores last year, didn't he? Like, isn't that one I of think the he, things maybe he finally about? got one towards the end of the year, but yeah, it was bad. Yeah, which is odd, right? Like, he should be destroying there, but maybe a part of it, too, is he just has to, has to get used to coming back and forth uh, to cores. Um, yeah, cor- I mean, like... Cores hangover is a thing. Yeah, like, honestly, like, last time I was in Colorado, I, my cousin lives out there. I went for her wedding. And uh, my wife and I, we flew into Denver, and then we went and hit up a bunch of microbreweries. So I was getting pretty buzzed, like, being a mile up. And then we drove up to Breck. Like, we chilled a little bit, and then we drove up to Breck on the same day. And then we went to get dinner when we were in Breckenridge, and I, like, didn't eat. I, I took, like, one bite, and I was like, this sucks. Like, I, <laughs> I just, like, give me a bunch of water. So I just drank a bunch of that, like, they give you, like, green water when you're there because you're, you have to get used to the altitude. And, like, I just felt like crap. And the whole next day I felt like crap. I remember, like, I didn't eat anything for, like, a whole day uh, just because I had altitude sickness. So it's a real thing. And, like, when you're traveling back and forth, back and forth, like, I'm sure that takes some getting used to. You know, like, the guys who 
grow up in cores and they're there like those players who you know they come up in the court in the rocky system they get used to it sooner because that's what they've been doing but like when you're chris bryant you're used to chicago which is i think more or less like sea level or close to sea level and then all of a sudden now you're going to course half your games like that's got to take some getting used to i think yeah that's probably got to be one of the hardest places to like come in as a free agent and the stuff off the field you know yeah which is oh. maybe why some of their guys hit and some don't right like they had it was a few years ago they spent a lot of money right like they had those they had all these rookies about to come up and then they just blocked them all because they, they, i can't remember everybody they signed but they signed like daniel murphy and who else did they sign uh who, who was it there's a few guys that they spent some money on and kind of like blocked their roster and i don't think I think most of them did not work out. And, like, everyone was excited to draft these guys. Like, oh, these guys are going to rake in cores. And I don't know if any of them really hit. Yeah, um, I definitely think as a as an industry, we're like, oh, course Field. You can hit 30 home runs there. Yeah, I'd rather just go to Great American Small Park because there's less hang- there's less of that course hangover effect. And then, uh, actually, Great American Small Park plays better for homers. Chorus yep. plays better for like doubles, like for extra base hits, but then uh, small park plays better for homers. I heard yeah. Scott White explain at once, like, you're absolutely correct. Like, what Coors actually does is it inflates BABIP. Like, everything, mo- more things put in play end up being hits at Coors because the outfield is massive, the ball travels further, yada, yada. So, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, who else in this tier you want to talk about? Um, Jake McCarthy, I think he is very, very too high. Like, he, yeah, he's fast, but he doesn't hit the ball hard. I don't know if he's going to play every day in that outfield. On um, that, it sounds like – I mean, it sounds like there's some traction for a Varsho trade to the Astros perhaps um, at one point. But then I think – I was listening on another podcast, and I think – Someone said that the Astros were asking for, or, or the Diamondbacks were asking for Hunter Brown. <laughs> so that kind of took that out. <laughs> so like, Diane, yeah, never mind. Uh, I don't, I, someone's going to get moved, I think, in that outfield. Whether it's Varsho or McCarthy or Alec Thomas, I think all three of them are kind of like on the block right now at the moment. I think they prefer, to, honestly, to move Varsho or Thomas. Uh, because McCarthy has. Um, I don't, I, and maybe I'm a little biased here. You tell me, Raymond, but I picked up Jake McCarthy in TGFBI last year for like nothing, for like a dollar. And this dude carried me. My steals sucked, except for Bobby Witt. I had like no steals until I picked up McCarthy. And then he really helped me win in my league and beat Ariel. So maybe I'm biased. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I just, uh, yeah, I like, just, he had 23 he's, he's steals. He's obviously carried by his speed, you know, like his speed, his speed yeah. tool is a 205 F score. So that carries him for sure. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I see, I see McCarthy is like a 10 to 15 homer guy with like 35, 40 steals. I, I basically, I see him almost as a Tommy Edmond who's an outfield only kind of. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if he can get to 40 steals, then yeah, I could see your ranking. But 23 steals in 99 games last year, so that's more like a 32 steal pace. But And like we've talked no. about, steals aren't going to be as valuable next year either. True. So I, don't know. I mean, that was, also, that was before the, the, uh, the rule change, too. He had that many steals. And in the minors, he was also getting a lot of steals. Um. Uh oh, you all right? Yeah, I just spilled my <laughs> coffee everywhere. Hopefully, it's not hot coffee. I mean, it was moderately hot coffee, but I'm gonna grab a towel. You talk for a sec. No problem. Yeah. So, McCarthy, I actually, I think my F scores had him higher than where I placed him in my rankings because his F score is 104 and his future F score is 116. And one of the reasons I like McCarthy is that he's not just a rabbit. He has that 205 speed. But then he has a 96 contact, a 94 discipline, an 82 power. So he's not average on those tools, but he's close to average on those tools. And then with the speed, so he's not just empty speed. Like, he's like an average player, basically. Like, 
just an average baseball player with extreme speed, which is better than someone like, remember when everyone was drafting Miles Straw? Like, Miles Straw sucked at everything except for speed. So, like, I think that's one of the advantages of McCarthy is that he's just, like, average everywhere, but then has really good speed. And I'll take a guy who's average everywhere with really good speed over a guy who's, like, sucks at everything and has good speed. So, um, you know, like, you could argue moving him up or down within this tier, but I do think he belongs in this tier with these other guys. Because, I, like, above him, you have a guy like Christian Yelich who just does everything, like, above, like slightly above average. Like, he doesn't accept – like, Yelich, the new Christian Yelich, he's not who he used to be anymore in 2019 or whatever. Uh, he just, like, is above average at everything. Like, he's not amazing at anything, really. He's just like, okay, uh, with Yelich, you're going to get 20 to – you know, 22 homers and you're going to get 15 to 18 steals. And then you're going to have solid 270, 280 batting average. And he's going to get on base. So, um, and he's going to be at the top of the lineup. So like I haven't having him around a guy like that. Then like another extreme guy, Adelie, Adelise Garcia, like just slightly above him. Um, Adelise like is all power and speed. And then his contact and plate discipline tools suck. So, like, he's, like, basically, Adelise is, like, Javi Baez. Like, it's, like, the same guy, in my opinion. Except one's an outfielder and one's a shortstop. That's an insult um, to Garcia. <laughs> I mean, that's how I see him. Um, I don't know. I, maybe maybe I'm a little biased against him also because, like, he's one of those guys who the Cardinals just got rid of. It's, like, him and Orozarena. Like, all these – you can make a team of guys that the Cardinals got rid of and it would be, like, the best team in baseball. Because you'd, you'd have that rotation starting with, like, Alcantara and Gallon. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm just, like, biased against those guys. So, I'm like, I'm just, like, pissed that they're not on my team. <laughs> so, I don't know. But uh, anyone else in this tier you want to highlight now that you, you're all settled? Yeah, I'm all cleaned, cleaned up. up. Um, I just – do you – Stephen Kwan, I don't know if he's going to be anything. Like, he had that hot spring training and then – that hot first month of the season. But I feel like after that, he was just empty batting average. He wasn't contributing anything else. He had steals. Um, I actually, there there were some leagues where uh, we dropped, like I, I think I dropped Quan in a league even. Uh, oh, wow. because he, yeah, got, he, he got up, cold. He got cold at one point. He ended up with 19 but, um, steals, which is way more than I thought he had. Yeah, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? You'll take you'll take that kind of batting average of those steals. And a part of it, too, is if you're in a points league, he's phenomenal because he doesn't strike yeah. out so that you're going to get no strikeouts, and then he walks all the time. So, like, depending on your league, like, Quan could be awesome. So let's talk about Quan for a second. Let's get in depth in his F scores. He has a 111 F score, which is the highest in this tier, but that's highly, highly carried by his contact and plate discipline tool. His contact is 115, so he is 15% above league average contact skills his plate discipline is 184 so his his ability to walk and not strike out is 84 percent better than the rest of the league and then his power is 62 which is very bad that's like you should only be getting like five like between five to ten homers like maybe like figure like seven eight homers in a season for quan uh and then 118 speed that should put him in that 20 steal range um and then dur- he's durable. He plays a lot. He never really got hurt in the minors. So he's got a 105 durability. So really, it's like and he h- hits high in the lineup too. So that means he's going to get runs. He's going to get he's going to get counting stats. So um, especially since he just gets hits, he gets on base. So he's going to get runs. He's not slow. He's he's going to run bases. So I mean, like, Quan is more like a supporting guy. You don't want him as your number one outfielder because he's not going to bring you power. He's not going to bring you extreme speed. But, like, Quan would be an awesome guy to pair with someone with, like, Jordan. trying to find a good example. With, like, maybe, like, a Tyler O'Neill, right? Like, if you have Tyler O'Neill, then, like, Quan would be a nice guy to pair with Tyler O'Neill because Tyler O'Neill is going to bring you, hopefully, homers and speed if he's healthy. But he's going to strike out a ton, and he's not going to get on base, really. Is it? But then if you get Quan, he's going to bring, like, counter stats. So, like, that might be a good, like, pairing with Tyler O'Neill. So, Quan's one of those guys – that you want to pair up with someone if you get one of those extreme power guys or whatever. That's that's kind of the way that I would be drafting Stephen Kwan. Or what about a guy you also have in this tier in Giancarlo? Like, you can give them pretty – both of them pretty easily. 
Yeah, definitely. That'd be a nice like one two punch there. If you miss on the guys in the other tiers, maybe get one of the guys in the top three tiers, and then you need a number two and a number three. If you paired those two guys, you're number two, number three outfielder. That's pretty solid. I think you're, you're gonna you're gonna balance your stats out pretty nicely doing something like that. And I think that's going to be my strategy, especially in my twelve team three outfielder leagues, which is most of what I play in. Like I have a league where I'm gonna keep Julio in like the eleventh or wherever I drafted him last year and then yeah getting like two of these guys in this tier chris bryant um stephen kwan i he had a much better year than i thought he did and then yeah a guy yeah who just hits bombs like stanton yeah there's for sure a lot more value in getting those guys who don't have as many tools you can find a way more value getting like a two or three tool guy than trying to shoot for four and five tool guys and then just pairing yeah two of those extreme two or three tool guys together. Like you're almost building. It's like, okay, I'm just going to meld these guys into one super guy. And you know, that's kind of the goal when you do that. And that's a pretty good draft strategy uh, when you're looking for value in the draft. I think the last guy I wanted to mention was Eloy because I I don't know if it's because I'm in the AL central, but like he has not lived up to what he was supposed to be. I mean, he, what did he do? He separated his shoulder, leaning over or trying to rob a home run. I think he had a pec injury. Um, it's just been weird, a weird career for him so far, and I still think he could be really good, but he just hasn't done it yet. Yeah, second half of last year, he was excellent, actually. That's what carries him up into my rankings here because I was actually lower, I think, on Eloy last year than this year. Um, and something that's going to help him is that he's going to be the DH only now. So is, he? is that, yeah, he's going to be now that Abreu's gone, Vaughn is supposed to play first and Eloy is supposed to be DH. And then the White Sox also just signed Ben Intendi too. Uh, so they've got Ben Intendi in the outfield. So sorry, Oscar Colas people that were all over Oscar Colas early, like <laughs> Ben Intendi just blocked him. Uh, but yeah, Eloy should be the primary DH, which, Hopefully, we'll keep him healthy. And, you know, he's everyone always says he's got light tower power, which he does. Like, he has a 152 power, which is excellent. And then a 97 contact skill. So, he still has slightly below average contact skills. But when you pair that with that power, um, he, can bring some, he, can, he can bring some homers. You know what I mean? So, I think Eloy and Stanton are very similar players, really, when you look at them. I think that I think that Eloy has a better chance of staying staying healthy, which is why I have him over Stanton, um, especially with him as a DH now, and he's younger, so that helps too. Just like aging curve wise, uh, he just has the like they're they're very close in skills, but I think Eloy has the higher ceiling, which is why I've got Eloy ranked a little bit higher than Stanton in these rankings. But they're very similar players. You ready to get in the next tier? Or you have anyone else you want to shout out on here? Mm, I don't think Von Grissom is outfield eligible. That was my last note. I think he's second base only, second base shortstop. I, he he may be, you know I, I'd have to look at that. Uh, it may depend on the league because he did. Play I checked CBS just a minute ago. I gotcha. Fan, yeah, let me see. No, on Fangrass, good. they say how many games they play in the outfield. He had, did he have five? I think oh, I accidentally just clicked on Marquise Grissom. I forgot that guy even lived. <laughs> Vaughn Grissom. <laughs> let's see here. Let's see Fangrass as we look this up. He played, yep, 40 games at second base and two at shortstop last year. So this may depend. I think part of this I was I, – I, I was – figuring that they may re-sign Dansby, so in that, which is still an option. Um, you're hearing now that Dansby is probably either going to be Cubs or he could go back to the Braves at this point. So if Grissom goes – if uh, the Braves re-sign Dansby, then Grissom's going to be an outfielder. So you're right. Grissom may not be an outfielder, and he's not going to start the year as an outfielder. It's all going to depend on what they do with Dansby. So I might have to delete him out of outfield rankings. That's a good call. I definitely miss that. Um. There's one guy in this tier I wanted to talk about, Raymond. That's Trent Grisham, who I have at number 40. By most standards, Grisham was atrocious 
the last couple of years. But Grisham is a lefty, and he's a pull lefty. And this dude was getting – he's just been getting destroyed from the shift. I think this is a, this is a player – he might be the most. He he might benefit more than anybody from the elimination of the shift. Like we talked on the last podcast about how it's going to help Newbar, but I think it's really going to help Trent Grisham. Um, Grisham also near the end of last year it was doing really well. And if you look at just look at his babips that he's been posting the last couple of years, I'm going to bring him up on Fangraphs real quick um, because this is going to support my F scores of him, but. I have Trent Grisham with a 98 contact, a 126 discipline, a 108 power, a 127 speed, and a 102 durability. And obviously, he's on a good team. But his BABIP last year was 231. That's a, that, that's ridiculous. A 231 BABIP. Um, with elimination the shift, he's not slow, so he should not have a BABIP that low. Like, this is a pretty fast player. Right, he's a 127 speed. He steals bases, so based on his speed, he should be more like a 320 batted guy. So I think that we're going to see a huge bounce bounce back with the rules changes, and I think Grisham might be the most benefited player. We could really see Grisham do be a 20 25 type player uh, with great on base and hit closer to 260 than the 184 he hit last year. I think he could be more like – remember in 2020, he had that season. In 2020, the, the short season, he had 251 with 10 homers and 10 steals. So he was pacing out to be like a 25-25 guy uh, with a 250 yeah, batting we, average. And he had a 3-10 Babbitt that year. Yeah, and then everyone overdrafted him the next year. But he had a 310 yeah. Babbitt that year. So I think with the elimination of the shift, he could be more like a 320 Babbitt guy. He could hit 250-260 and then bounce back to that power-speed combo that we were seeing back then. And he's still young. He's going to be 26 this year. So Grisham is a guy that I'm really going to be on. Uh, and I think that me having him as the number 40 outfielder, he might be getting drafted more as like the number 70 or 80 outfielder uh, by ADP when we start getting ADP rankings coming around. So um, that's a guy that I'm going to be all over it and that I want to highlight. I'm planting my flag here on Trent Grisham. So um, that, that's a Tim guy for this year. I'm claiming him. <laughs> <laughs> um, with new bar Grisham and new bar are Tim guys. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty similar. Their, their spray charts are pretty similar. Um, I have baseball savant pulled up and they have a outs above average slider and he was 99th percentile and outs above average. So that would, I would back up a lot of what you're saying, but he just doesn't yeah. hit the ball, especially hard. Like his average exit below is eight, 88 miles an hour. That's, it's okay. That's average. He, he, yeah. He, yeah, he's he's like he's, he's got like league average power, but for, but he's for so fast. So yeah, yeah. I think he's like he's. I don't think he's going to be thirty homer guy. I think he's more like a twenty homer guy, twenty ish homer guy. Maybe it's like twenty two, twenty five. Um, but I think he's going to get more steals. I think he's going to be more. He could be more like a twenty five steal guy, especially with him getting on base more. And he's always gotten on base, even in his bad years. He's posted above and over over a ten percent walk rate every year of his career, so he's always been a, a good on base guy. And even look at his contact rates on Fangraphs; like he has a career seventy eight percent contact percentage. That's really strong. It's just he just gets shifted to death. Um, so I, I really think that Trent Grisham is going to be, and if he starts hitting like how he did in twenty twenty, he could move up in that order. You could see an order where possibly uh, if they wanted to move Tatis down in the order, maybe they want to hit Tatis like fourth or something, then they could have, they could go Grisham, Soto, Machado, Tatis, or Grisham, Soto, Tatis, Machado, once Tatis is back. Like you could really, if, if Tatis, if Grisham is hitting 260 and getting on base at his normal clip, he could get back up in the order because he was hitting first or second in the order the last couple of years before this year, before uh, he just got shifted to death. So um, if we see him in spring just killing it, the Padres might put him at the top of the order, and he, he'll just be a counting stats monster in front of those guys. And obviously they have Xander in there still too, so add Xander in that mix too. Um, so that's a possibility uh, with that on-base rate that he, get, that he has. 
Um, let's get to the next tier. I wanted to hit at least two tiers in this pod, uh, maybe three. We'll see what we can do. So next tier is another big tier. It's players 43 to 65. Uh, I see the last tier we went over is more like outfield two types. Uh, and then this next tier is going to be more like outfield three types. So number 43 outfielder is Cattell Marte with a 97 F score. 44, Taylor Ward with a 101 F score. 45, Jesse Winker with a 105 F score. 46, Josh Rojas with a 104 F score. 47, Andrew Vaughn with a 93 F score. 48, Josh Naylor with a 96 F score. 49, Seth Brown with a 103 F score. 50 is Brandon Drury, who has yet to sign. This is kind of a placeholder for him. He may move up or down depending on where he signs. 51, Ian Happ with a 100 F score. 52, Jared Walsh with a 92 F score. 53, Astori Ruiz with a 121 F score. Uh, this is one of those guys I was talking about with a story here, Raymond, where I mentioned that speed can just give them an extreme F score where I have to kind of like use my brain and place them appropriately. 54, Whit Mer- Merrifield with a 99 F score. 55, John Birdie with a 110 F score. Another speed guy, right? 56, MJ Melendez with a 98 F score. 57, Jock Peterson with a 100 F score. 58, Cody Bellinger with a 95 F score. 59, Andrew Benintendi with a 98. 60, Brendan Donovan with a 97 F score. 61, Masataka Yoshida, your boy, with a 96 F score. 62, Jeff McNeil with a 98 F score. 63, Royce Lewis with a 93 F score. And yeah, Lewis only played one game at shortstop. I kind of put here him here in case the Twins re-sign Correa. And they are still in Dansby. But it seems like if they don't sign Dansby, Royce Lewis is going to be primary shortstop and probably would not qualify at outfield since he only played the one game got hurt last year at outfield. 64, Chris Taylor with a 101 F score. And lastly, Mike Yastrzemski with a 104 F score. Big, big tier here. I know it's a lot of names. Who here stands out to you, Raymond? Oh, I lost Raymond. All right, I'll keep talking until he gets back on here. It looks like he lost the internet connection. So, um, basically, the guys that I'm liking in this tier. uh, A story I already re-edited in this tier based on uh, his new home in Oakland and him expecting to get regular starting time. Uh, Ross Resource, I think, had him hitting ninth, but I think he could end up being back first. Um, and Raymond is back, so let me jump Raymond in here. I, I really like I'm, <laughs> I really like MJ Melendez. I think, I think he could take a step forward. I'm afraid to open any other browsers, so I don't have any stats or data in front of me, but I'm a big Melendez guy. Um, John Birdie in his 200 steals he had last year. Um, I think my strategy for steals is next season is just going to be to try and find really fast guys on really bad teams because that seems to be a pattern that works. Um, and then I yeah, really like, like Andrew Ruiz. Yeah, yep. Yeah, Ruiz should be that guy now with Oakland. Like, they have no reason to not let him run. Right, like, might as well mm-hmm. just let him be Starling Marte, like how Marte stole like forty-eight bases or whatever when he was on Oakland a couple of years ago. Like, you might as well just let him do that. Yeah, even when he was on those bad Pirates teams, he was stealing thirty bases a year. Um, I think Melendez, I, Melendez, I like too, and Melendez can bring some interesting strategy, kind of like how Varsho did last year. If you got Melendez and then another catcher, you can pop Melendez in. If he's playing outfield, you can pop him in a catcher. But then in the days where he's off, you can like you can move him around. You can like play with it. If you want to, if you were in like a two two, if you wanted two catchers, Melendez is one of those guys you can bounce around. And then when he's not playing, then you just pop in another catcher. Um, like you could draft even in one catcher league, you could draft Melendez with like. Real Muto, and they just have Real Muto catcher. Then when Real when Real Muto's off, pop Melendez in a catcher because he still provides value as like a third outfielder. Um, 
So you can you can get some interesting strategies with guys like Melendez and Varsho uh, doing stuff like that. Um, I think there's a world, there's an outcome out there where Andrew Vaughn takes a step forward and I don't know what his ceiling is, but Eloy maybe, it's a guy on the same team. 30 homers, 100 RBIs. I think Vaughn, if he takes a step forward, would be more like a Freddie Freeman type, right? I mean, he's a, I don't think he's a lefty. I think he's Vaughn's righty. Yeah, he's he um, righty. Yeah, but because of the contact skills, like he's got really high contact skills, but then like not extreme power, just like above average power. Uh, the difference is Freeman has incredible play discipline skills and Vaughn hasn't gotten there yet. So Vaughn can do better about, you know, taking walks, not striking out as much. Then I, I see he could, I see him as a possible like early career Freddie Freeman type, right? Remember Freeman early in his career, he was more like an average guy who would hit like 25 homers. I I think Vaughn could do something like that. I think, I don't know if there's any proof to this or quantifiable. This is quantifiable at all, but I think Tony La Russa might have been holding back literally everyone on the White Sox, and all of them are going <laughs> to be slightly better just because he's not there anymore. I agree. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree with that. Um, the other one I was going to mention is Brendan Donovan, which I'm sure you're stoked about. He. Donovan is gonna is he'll be perfect for points leagues, right? Because his plate discipline is phenomenal. Um, he should be hitting up. He might be. There's a chance it's gonna be either Donovan. It could be the the lineup for the Cardinals could go something like this. It could go like uh, Newbar, Donovan, Goldie, Arenado, Contreras. It's probably how the top five will come up. Unless they want to try to work Carlson back in there, hitting second, which they might try because Carlson was hitting second early in the year before his injury. Um, so we'll see if they want to go lefty-lefty at the gate or if they want to go lefty-switchy. So um, that might be depending on where Donovan hits. Uh, Donovan is great because of the position eligibility, right? Like he literally plays everything but catcher. So he's one of those guys that you kind of want on your team just to fill the void when people get hurt. Like, I love having that guy on the bench, right, who plays every position, like your, your Ben Zobrist. So when someone gets hurt, you just fill him in and you're not having to shop on the waiver wire. Yeah. Uh, I love dual eligibility. Like, Cattell Marte at the top of this tier, I don't know if he can still play second and outfield, but I, I usually bump those guys up around or whatever because that's just so useful to have especially yeah, in a this, daily a daily lineup league yeah that's why i like mj melendez here too i mean like he can play catcher yeah. he like like the guys who can play catcher but then when they're not playing catcher they're in the outfield or they're de-aging or whatever like that when it's just like a catcher who gets regular at bat like that many at bats is going to be so valuable especially he's like leading off for the royals so, yeah, a, a catcher who leads off and then plays other positions, that's awesome to have. Um, and hopefully that power skill that he showed in the minors can kind of bounce back. Like, he, he's showing decent, like, above-average power in, in the majors this year, but he didn't have that bat that hit, like, almost 50 homers in the minors. Um, that didn't translate as well. And Coffin isn't the best hitter's park, so that can hurt him a bit. And then also, like, the Royals don't have much lineup protection because it's all rookies, basically. Like, you got, like, Melendez, Witt, Haskins, uh, Vinny P are, like, your top three. So you got, like, all rookies and then Salvi thrown in there. So um, that might affect also, like, the ability to uh, really see the best of pitches. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Ian Hap's a guy like that, too. I think he can play all over second, short, outfield. I think he's going to be second and outfield eligible next year, but it might only be outfield. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, 
And then I wanted to bring up Royce Lewis because we texted a little about this. Like, I've been all in on that guy since the Twins drafted him. I wanted the Tigers to get him, but they were never, he was never going to fall that far. <laughs> but he was so good when he was up last year. And then just the flukiest of flukes tears his ACL for a second time. Like, first of all, I hope he can come back and be the same guy. And second of all, if he can. I think he's going to be a guy who could really help you out in the second half of the season. Yeah, his F scores, if you if you take out the durability F score, they look almost exactly like Jake McCarthy's, except he plays shortstop. Right? Like he's basically yeah. like slightly below average and he he has a better hit tool than McCarthy, a little bit worse plate discipline, power's about the same, speed's about the same. And then he just didn't have the opportunity because of the injury to, to play. And this is not Luce's first injury, so that does scare me a bit. Because he's one of it's these not. guys who, like, he's he's been getting hurt in the minors. Like, he should have probably been up a couple years ago uh, based on his timeline and his pedigree. But he just keeps getting hurt and sucks for him. Um, hopefully he can get it right and get on the field. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you don't really see ACL injuries in baseball. We've seen a few the last couple of years with Acuna and then him, obviously. But that's such a fluke, man. Like, I don't think that's his fault. But I just, yeah. like I said, I, I, I want to see him healthy and I want to see him playing well. Yeah, this that would be really this tier fun. Is, this tier is pretty interesting to me. If you go through the tier, there's a lot of speed guys in this tier, right? Uh, we have Josh Rojas, we have Astori Ruiz, we have Whit Merrifield, John Birdie, Royce Lewis. So a lot of speed guys with then also in this tier, a lot of bounce back type guys. Like Tetsu Marte, he had a terrible year last year and he's a bounce back. Jesse Winker, terrible year last year. Let's see if he bounces back in Milwaukee, which I like uh, Winker in Milwaukee a lot. Uh, getting him back into a hitter's park is going to do is, is going to be a mirror like that's going to be great for him i think um seth brown is even a little bit of a speed guy so he's an interesting name to watch good power speed skills seth brown is like your poor man's adelise garcia i think he needs um, to get out of oakland he, he's not going to though because he's i like, know there's he's, no way he's one of those classic oakland guys who's like 28 year old rookie who comes up and is good and Oakland's like, okay, we have this guy for cheap as crap for his entire prime. So they're just going to keep him for six years, and he's never going to get paid. Like, he just wanted, like, Whit. I think Whit Merrifield came up. He was 27 or 28, and he just never got a payday because he had six years of team control, and then no one's going to pay him when he's 34 or 35. Oh, my gosh. So, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's going to happen to Seth Brown. So it sucks for him, but I think he's stuck in Oakland because uh, for that reason. You know, they just got him cheap for, like, six years. Um but yeah, this that's and then also Jared Walsh, another bounce back guy, right? Like he was really yeah. good a couple of years ago, and then he sucked last year. So this tier here is all like bounce back guys, speed guys, some interesting dual position guys like Melendez and Donovan, who are really good at like one one or two things. Um, Jeff McNeil. Someone interesting in this tier is also yeah McNeil, a good hit tool, but that's about it. Uh, someone else interesting in this t tier too, Cody Bellinger, right? Um, I think a lot of people are going to be watching Bellinger this spring to see what he does. Uh, if he has a strong spring, he could be one of those guys who just gets way overdrafted. I think uh, now being in Chicago, change of scenery guy. You know what I mean? Um, so it'll be interesting to, to watch Bellinger this spring, see what he does. Uh, you want to talk about your boy Yoshida at all and how he rated on the F scores since Scott White tore you a new one on drafting <laughs> Yoshida in the CPS draft? <laughs> I don't know that he's my boy. I just if I think if there's a scenario where he is a successful fantasy player, it's in points. And like we talked about last pod, I waited way too long to go for outfield, so I was kind of just uh shooting for upside. And I think I mean he's unknown, so and we've seen hypothetically what his ceiling is in Japan, but um Yeah. I I'll mean, defend you on that pick. Uh, because he has a 139 discipline and 106 contact skills, which is perfect for points. Hits, he's going to get hits, he's going to get on base, he's going to walk. He's basically like 
Yoshida, you might think of like a, a slower Stephen Kwan with a little more power. He's like a he's like a fifteen homer Stephen Kwan with less speed. I remember hearing you talk about how the Japanese players or people coming over translates to the major leagues. But did you do that by just like stats, or did you do that by your F scores, like contact and power and excitement? I used my F scores and I did correlation. So like the same way that I do the rookies, like I basically okay. take their minor. So like for rookies, I, I don't know if I explained this on the pod, but I took like when I do rookies or like second year players, the way I translate their minor league stats is I do a correlation. So what I did is I took the top 50 hitters and the top 50 pitchers that were all rookies. And then I you took all their minor league stats the last three years, double only double A AA and triple A. I didn't use anything lower. So I took all their double A AA and triple A stats, and then I correlated those double and triple A stats into the majors, how they performed in the majors. And that gave me correlation marks for every single skill. And I did the same thing with Japan. So like what I did was I took guys like say Suzuki and like the Jap all basically all the recent Japanese players that came up. I took their I took their what they did in Japan, and then I took what they did in the majors their first couple of years, and then that gave me correlation. So that, that allowed me to correlate the F-scores from Japan, which I think I mentioned on the pod that you're talking about, that Japan correlates as worse than AA. So, like, the guys coming from AA and AAA, like, like the guys who just came up from the minors, their correlation was at a lower rate on these skills. And it varies by the skill, but, like, it's more like to, it can range from, like, 5 to 20% on any given skill. Whereas Japan, it was more like 35% correlations. Like it was much further away than uh, from MLB than the minors. So that was something that I found from doing that. That was very interesting to me. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. Because I was just going to say, like, if just one of his, like, if his contact translates, I think, I think where I drafted him in that league and then I think where you have him ranked, I think he could back that up. But I don't think he's going to be a barn burner league winner by any means. Yeah. One of the things is that contact and uh, play discipline translate. They're a, lot, they're a lot more sticky coming over from Japan than power. Power is, like, not sticky at all. Like yeah, power playing is, in those like, domes. Like, and... Yeah. There's, like, a 30, 35 to 40% difference in power. Uh, because the pitchers in Japan pitch completely differently over there than here. There's just their style. They throw more strikes over there. Like people are throwing the zone more. They're trying to do, they're not trying to get like outside of the zone swinging strikes. Uh, so you don't see as much of that O swing stuff over there. There's a lot more pitches in the zone. There's less of velocity across the board over there. Uh, and then, like you said, they're playing in domes, so you don't have weather effects as much. So the power, the power is not really sticky at all coming from Japan. So I mean, like obviously there's some stickiness, but like there's that guy. I don't know if you've see, seen, but there's that guy. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but there, uh, he's like 25 in Japan, and he had like 50 homers or whatever. And yeah, they said that he's going to come. He's going to come in like 2025 or 2026 or whatever. Like I think he's not going to be hitting 50 home runs in MLB. He's going to be hitting like 30. So um, once he gets over here, he'll be like a 30-homer guy. But people thinking he's going to come over and be Aaron Judge, I don't think that's realistic. Uh, or being Otani. Like, Otani's a different breed because Otani's huge. Otani's like Judge. Like, he's like a huge guy. Like, this guy isn't the same type of type of build. So he might be more like a Matsui or something than, than uh, Otani or Judge. Uh, Dude, I don't over. even – I don't even think Judge can be Judge again next year. So anybody trying to do live up to that is going to be impossible. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay, anyone else you want to bring on this tier before we close it out? No, I think I'm good. Right on. Okay, next pod we're going to get into the deep guys. You can see we've got a bunch of like mostly like a lot of like prospects and like under the radar names that we're going to talk about. So we'll call next pod like outfield part three, like under the radar. I'm going to steal it. Nando's thing since they close their podcast down, I guess. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, till next time, you can find Raymond on Twitter at Raymond Atherton. You can find me on the Twitter at Fantasy Aceball. My written work is over on Friends with Fantasy Benefits. If you guys want to play in an Atenu 
league with us. Hit me up on Twitter. Uh, DM me at Fantasy Aceball on Twitter if you want to play an odd new league with us. I've been getting some requests. Uh, so jump in now while there are still seats available in the league. It's a 16-team odd new league. The it, It's a really cool uh, league to play in. I think, Raymond, this is going to be your first odd new league, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, so it's going to be Raymond's first. So uh, don't be afraid uh, because even Raymond, it's his first odd new league. So if this is your first odd new league too, don't be afraid uh, to hop on in. It's a really cool format. So, uh, Raymond, I'll let you close it out. Give us give us some last words. Draft fast people on bad teams, and you will win steals in your league. Sage advice, friend. All right, next time. Peace. <laughs>